Amen, amen, amen. Well, God has a word for us. You didn't come to church to hear from a man. You came to hear from the Lord. And there is a word tucked away in 1 Kings 17. Um, we're in a series called Same. Thus, the theme of the year, Same God. And today's message I've entitled Same Presence. Same Presence. By way of context, before we pray, let me read to you verse 8 of 1 Kings 17, verse 8 and 9. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Father, from the depths of my soul, I love you. I believe you, Lord. I believe your word. Your word is a sledgehammer. It, it pierces the soul. It's living and active. Lord, this is a holy moment. This is worship, where we come up under your very voice in this particular text of Scripture. God, I pray that you would speak. Somebody needs confirmation. Somebody needs a word today. I pray that your word will accomplish that which it will because it changes lives. We love you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My mother is a sweet lady. Uh, people see her, meet her, they say, well, she's so nice. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Sister Karen Loritz is nice, but don't cross her. My mom's from the inner city of Philly, okay? She's she street smart. She knows it all. I mean, this lady is a godly woman, but don't you cross Sister Karen Loritz. Growing up, one of the things that my mother was passionate about, among many, was that we, her children, would finish the food on our plate. Come on, parents. Two claps. <laughs> finish the food on your plate. We're small, she would fix our food. See, some of y'all mothers know what y'all doing because my mama knew good and well some of the food she put on her plate I did not even like. But we had to finish it. Mothers ain't slick. She would put something like lima beans. Ugh. Ugh. Black eyed peas. No, ugh. now I'm from the South, so every now and then mama would throw some chitlins on the plate. My dad exercised his veto rights as head of household because he didn't like chitlins, so he demanded that his son don't eat chitlins because I don't like chitlins because he don't like chitlins. Therefore, mama, daddy said I don't have to eat chitlins. 
But mama was very passionate about finishing the food on your plate. Because to waste food, stay with me, is to not value the one who provided and prepared the meal. To waste food is a direct slap in the face to the one who prepared it, who worked for it, who brought the groceries in and put it in the refrigerator, took it out the refrigerator, cooked it up, fixed it up, and put it on your plate. To waste food is not to value the one who prepared and provided the meal. One of the things that is always true about God One of the things that is always the same about God, you see this all through Scripture, you see it through human history, is that God has a plan for your life. My my dad's a preacher, and I remember many drives that's something he would just randomly say on a car drive, maybe headed to a baseball game or headed to an event. He would just randomly say, Brendan, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for every individual in this room. He has a plan for your life. He has metaphorical meals that he has provided and prepared for you and I to take part in. And the game changer of experiencing this meal is his presence. It's his activity in your life and in my life. His presence delivers the meal. But here's a question. (laughs) Knowing this, that God has a plan for my life, he has meals, and his presence is the reality and the effective thing that makes that possible, will I tap into him or will I waste my food? Because in this room right now, there's far too many of us who are wasting our lives. Wasting our walk, wasting the gifts and abilities that God's given to us. We're very good at being spiritual hoarders rather than people applying spiritual truth. God has meals for us to take part in. If there's anybody in Scripture that knows what it's like to... uh, uh, Take part in God's meals, literally and figuratively, it will be Elijah. I mean, 1 Kings 17, Elijah comes on the scene, prophesies a drought. God sends him away into a secluded place. And we know as you read his life, God uses him greatly. But here we come to a very powerful passage of Scripture, a very powerful story. If you've been walking with Jesus any, any kind of amount of time, you would have heard about this story of him, Elijah, I'm speaking of, and the widow and this profound story, but I want to look at this story from the angle of God working on Elijah, and I want to lift up this thought here that I pray that I can make clear that's anchored in the text, and here's the point, here's the sermon in a sentence. God wants to use me while he's working on me. God wants to use me 
while he's working on me. The question I want to address this morning is, what do we learn about the presence and activity of God while he's working on us? What do we learn that's always true, that's always the same about the presence of God while he's working on us? Because God wants to use me while he's working on me. Well, to answer that question, I'm going to give you three broad thoughts here. These could be individual sermons, to be honest with you, but for the sake of time, we're just going to see these three main categories anchored in this story that God wants to use me while he's working on me. Here's the first answer to that question. God will humble me as I serve him. The same presence will humble me as I serve him. I just read verse 8 and 9 just a few minutes ago, but location is key. When you study scripture, learn to methodically take your time because at this juncture, Elijah is in a place called Sherith. Sherith in the Hebrew means to cut down, to cut down. Uh, That's a literal reality in Elijah's life. He's sitting by a brook. He's uh, trusting God to feed him. God is cutting his pride down. He's in that place. But notice, God tells him now to get up and go from Sheriff to a place called Zarephath. Uh Uh-oh. Because Zarephath, the Hebrew noun form, means crucible. So you already are in one situation where you're being cut down, and now God's about to send you to a place that's going to serve as a crucible for your development. Chuck Swindoll, in his wonderful book on Elijah, says this about Zarephath. This was a place designed by God to further refine the prophet and make a major difference in the remainder of his life. Crucibles... Or we will say trials, storms, fill in the blank, they produce Christ-likeness. They reveal what doesn't need to be there, and they magnify what needs to remain. Everything is intentional with the presence of God. Uh, There's no wasted move with God. God is intentional with everything that he does when it comes to him using your life, working in you. So he tells him to go to Zarephath. Now, let me give you three thoughts here, verse 8 and 9. Number one, God knows where Elijah is. Notice the expression, the word of the Lord came to him. Uh, Don't run over that too quickly. Uh, The implication is God knows his location and his season. God knows his location and his season. One of the ways you know God is about to do something in your life is that he sends a word. Listen to me. God knows your location. He don't need a reminder. He doesn't need a Facebook post or a tweet. He doesn't need anything. He knows your address. Matter of fact, he knows your location, but he also knows your season. He knows how difficult it is. He's not blown away or taken back or his palms ain't sweating. He knows your location. And he knows your season. And knowing that, 
we have to stay close to him and in his word. Psalm 119 verse 103 says, how sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. A few verses down in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Oh, church, God knows where Elijah is. But he also knows where Elijah is going. Remember, he tells him, get up and go to Zarephath. Now, if you, if you study this, it's interesting. The distance between the two is not like around the corner. It's not like going from here to your car. No, it's about a hundred mile difference. Now, 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 feel this. He's sitting by a brook, getting fed by ravens. In the midst of a drought, God's taking care of him. But now God tells him to get up and go on a hundred mile commute on foot in the midst of a drought, in the midst of desert, and if you keep reading context, in enemy territory because there's a bounty on his back. Now, 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 here's a question I asked the text. Now, how in the world, how in the world was Elijah able to make this commute? Well, you can be spiritual and say, well, God told him, Pastor. Well, yeah. Yeah, he did. But dig down, dig down, dig down deeper. How was he able to make this commute? Here's the answer. Because he saw God come through by a brook. Somebody got it. Somebody got it. He saw God come through by a brook. Ah, uh, you didn't get it. It's something about witnessing the faithfulness of God in a secret place. It's something about seeing the hand of God strengthen you in the midnight hour when nobody else is around. It's something about witnessing God's provision, his strength, his faithfulness when, the, when nobody's there but you and him. And God will make sure you have those lonely moments where you ain't got no praise person to pump you up. It's just you and Jesus. And I declare to you today, when you see him take care of you in the secret place, stepping out in faith in public won't be no private thing because you're confident in the faithfulness of God. He was able to make this commute because I saw God come through for me when nobody else was looking. So God knows where Elijah is. He knows where Elijah's going. But he also has a person prepared for Elijah. The text says, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, 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 that's bizarre. You know it's God when it don't make human sense. Think about that. Now connect the dots. He's by a brook getting fed by ravens, and ravens are unclean birds. He now has to go in Gentile territory. Jews view Gentiles as unclean. So now he's about to be fed by an unclean woman, and on top of that, she's a widow. She ain't poor. She's poor. She couldn't afford the O and the R. <laughs> Sister girl's broke. And she's a Gentile. Do you see how there's no wasted moves with God? 
I'm being fed by unclean birds. Now God's about to let me be fed by an unclean woman. What in the world? And God says, that's where exactly where I want you to be in a season where it don't make humanly any kind of sense, but it sets you up to experience me. Now let me stop here and let me come to your neighborhood. Being humbled does not feel good. I have never met a person, and this is you, God bless you, you're just weird. I have never met a person that says, man, this humble thing is really good, man. Bro, I, I'm loving it. It's just humble. Man, yeah. More, Lord. Ah, oh, be careful with that. Be careful. Be careful. Can I just be honest? Can we be honest in church? Being humble does not feel good. Some of you here today, you're angry at God because the hand that's been dealt to you, you're eating humble pie. As a matter of fact, it is smashed in the face. And if we were to see with the eyes of the Spirit, it would be cake all over the place because God is making you and I humble. You've tried certain things. Your human effort is not working. Your human abilities is not working. Everywhere you turn is not working. But can I lovingly, pastorally speak this over you? Could it be that God's allowed this to happen because he wants us to depend on him and not rely on ourselves? Can we for one second take our eyes off of our circumstance and see with the eyes of the Spirit that it's the hand of God that has allowed this circumstance to happen because he wants me to look up, not at my problem, look to him. We're too busy complaining in church. We're too busy white-knuckling the Christian life. Nobody's stepping back and saying, what is God showing me here? We lack spiritual discernment because we refuse to look spiritually. So we're weak believers where God is trying to make a champion out of you. And the only way a champion becomes a champion, he has to go through the crucible of being broken. And that's what God does. He humbles me. Because humility is the platform for usefulness. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And could it be the resistance that I'm experiencing in my life be because I'm operating in pride? Not because the devil, no, God is opposing you because their pride is too loud. So God has to humble me as I serve him. Second thing we learn about the presence of God, I feel like preaching. God will make sure I apply his exams. God will make sure I apply his exams. Elijah gets up and he goes. This hundred mile commute, brother is tired, gets to Zarephath, the gates of the city, he just so happens to see a widow there gathering sticks. He says to her, hey, can you get me some water? She's like, okay. She goes to get water. And he was like, can you give me some carbs? Bread. And notice this passionate response. 
Now, I want you to feel this. Feel every single word because every single word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Look at what she says in verse 12 very carefully. As the Lord, your God, lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Sit in that for a second. Notice two things here. Notice what she says about the Lord. As the Lord your God lives. So apparently she recognizes he's a Jew. Apparently she's heard the stories about this Jehovah, this this Yahweh, this one who has established a people in Israel. Maybe she's heard of those stories. She heard about this creation, Elohim. So she has good theology. I know he's living. I know he's committed to your people. But could it be that even though she has right theology, help me, Lord, she's not expecting that same God to be involved in her predicament? The way we know that is her conclusion. Hey, all I, I, amen. Praise God, your God lives. That's good for you. But let me go finish what little that I got, cook this food so me and my son can eat and die. Listen, 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 listen. Somebody's there right now. Somebody's there. Thank you, Lord. Somebody's right there right now. You know God is real. But let's just call it for what it is. You just don't believe he can give you victory over that addiction. Yeah, you're here at church because that's what you're supposed to do. I, I got my Bible open. But let's just call it for what it is. I know Jesus is real, but he can't help me with my marriage. Some of us have allowed life to knock us down so much, your only conclusion is death. Death of a relationship. Death of a circumstance. You've given up. Can I be honest with you? Just be real with your situation. But be very careful of having good theology up here, but horrible application here. This woman knows that he's living, but she's not expecting that same God to be over here. Some of you are there right now. She's desperate. She's honest. At least she's honest. Some of us can't even be honest to vocalize our situation. But she's honest. This is my reality. Well, in steps Elijah. Look at verse 13 and 14. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son 
For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. I hear your articulation of your impossible situation. But sister girl, I want you to look at the possibilities. Stop drawing that conclusion. Focus on the possibilities. Now, why in the world would he tell her, feed me first? Don't that sound humanly selfish? He could have said, man, I done walked 100 miles. You're going to give me some biscuits up in here. <laughs> Something. The reason why he tell, told her to feed him first, then herself and her son, is to call her to trust God at his word. To trust him. To trust him. So, let me come to your neighborhood, put my arm around you, lovingly hug you. Hey, how you doing? When God gives us exams, there's three things that we need to remember. Now, everything I'm going to tell you is not shooting from the hip. It's not random. I don't want you to walk away saying, where was that in the text? No, everything I'm about to tell you by way of application is anchored in this text. So when God gives me an exam, I'm just bringing application to you from this story. There's three things that we need to remember. Number one, number one, don't allow what you see to determine your outcome. Don't let what you see to determine your outcome. In other words, don't make a final conclusion over a temporary circumstance. I run into so many folk who draw periods over a storm. No, no, don't do that. Old preachers used to say, I've never been in a storm that did not end. Let that sit for a second. You will get through this. You will come through this. I know it seems dark. I know it seems bleak. But we have to resist the urge of drawing final conclusions over a temporary circumstance. Because you do know your circumstance is only temporary because we serve an everlasting eternal God. So you will get through this. And just because it looks humanly impossible doesn't mean it's out of God's reach. Number two, I must handle my tests with faith, not fear. Now you can, you, you can sense the fear in our sister. Let's not be hard on her because we all struggle with it. Anxiety. Worry, maybe even as I'm speaking now, there's fear trying to well up in your own soul. You came in here fearful. Listen, fear is not going to take us anywhere but more further down in the ground of despair. And what I love about this is that Elijah challenges her to step out in faith. And we need to be a people addicted to building our faith. How do I build my faith? I put my nose in this book and I apply his truth to my life. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when life is shaky, I take God at his word and I do something about it. I don't phone corporate worship in. I throw myself into community with the people of God. I build my faith. Because I must handle my test with faith, not fear. But the third challenge 
when God gives us an exam is, and this is a big one, serve God even when it hurts. Serve God even when it hurts. Mm. How many of us ever heard somebody say something to the effect of, okay, when, when, when things get better, then I will. No, 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 don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, no. no. I cannot appreciate the mercy and grace of God if I try to wait till things get better. No, right in the midst of my dysfunction, right in the midst of my pain, right in the midst of my tears, serve God. Right in the midst of that divorce, serve God. Right in the midst of that grief, serve God. Right in the midst of those tears, serve God. Can you imagine this woman being called to step out in faith? She just wants to take care of her son. And she has to serve God in the midst. All she could hold on to was a word. A word that seemed to be hanging in suspense. But she's about to learn that the declaration that the Lord your God lives is the same God that's about to reveal himself to her. But she had to serve him right in the midst of that pain. So when God gives us an exam, don't draw periods on a temporary circumstance. Handle my test with faith, not fear. Serve God even when it hurts. So God will humble me as I serve him. God will make sure I apply his exams. And thirdly and finally, and this is the hallelujah portion of the text, God will always fill in the gaps. God will always fill in the gaps. Look at verse 15 and 16. I love it. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word, 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 to the word of the Lord. They spoke by Elijah. Three observations here. Notice, Elijah's pattern of obedience is the same as the widow's. Don't miss that. Elijah's pattern of obedience is the same as the widow. God told him to get up and go. He got up and went. Elijah told her to get up and go in that kitchen. She went and did. Look up, look up on the screen what the one scholar says. Man's obedience and God's faithfulness. That's a combination that leads to miracles. Man's obedience and God's faithfulness. That's a combination that leads to miracles. Put it another way. Miracles flow through active, active, active faith. Some of us are praying for miracles but aren't experiencing a miracle because we're not operating in faith. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Out of the mouths of babes. But faith, faith, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Faith is taking God at his word, even in the midst. When everybody says, you crazy. No, God said it, I'm going to do it. It's active faith. God won't move in in many ways until he sees us move. When I take that step, he does his part. He fills in the gaps. Another observation here is that God went above and beyond what they could imagine. 
Now, she, she just wanted to take care, take care of her baby. But uh-oh, I think I read it too fast. Verse 15 tells us that her household ate. NIV says family. Her mind is just me and my baby. God says, no, no, I need to make a statement about who I am since you made this declaration that I'm a living God and you really wasn't expecting me to be involved in your space. I have to make a statement about who I am. Listen to me. When God works in your life, he's making a statement about who he is. It's not about you. It's not about me. It ain't about shadow hills, but it's about his glory. God is passionate about his glory. He shares it with no one. And he wants to make a statement in your life. Yeah, he wants your friends to see how faithful he's been to you. Yeah, he wants your, your co-workers to see how good he is. Yeah, because that's my God. So God not only took care, took care of her, her son, and Elijah, he took care of her whole family because he's making a statement about himself. And the third implication we learn is that God provided exactly what she needed. God provided exactly what she needed. Can, can you imagine, just spare me the dramatic reality here, can, can, can you imagine how she felt when she went to that kitchen and every time she used that flour and oil, she's looking like, all right, all right, he done said it, ain't gonna be, it looks low to me. And then she goes serving, she comes back and is right back up. Can you imagine how she felt? What that did in her soul? That even though the lean times can be a mean time, God specializes and operating in time because he's an on time God yes he is Amen. give us this day our daily bread actually the Greek the Greek suggestion of that phrase when Jesus talks about this in Matthew it means give us the bread that will sustain us for today don't focus on yesterday don't even focus on tomorrow. God will sustain you today. He will keep your mind in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on him. So God provided exactly what she needed. I love what one scholar says. He says that when you've come to the end of your own resources and God says no to your wants but yes to your needs, you are more than satisfied. You are more than satisfied. Which is why David would say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, because I have everything I need in him. God will always fill in the gap. And you hear me on this. There will always be a gap between where you are and what God wants done. That's all through Scripture. If you can do it, then you don't need God. There's always a gap between where we are and what God wants done. And what God magnifies in Elijah's life and even to the widow is that his presence is the game changer. We get in trouble when we try to own the gap. 
the gap to God and walk in faithfulness. And I will experience his presence. There's an old song we used to sing back in, back in Atlanta. I used to be a part of a gospel choir called Atlanta's Youth and Praise. It was a gospel choir of about five different youth groups that came together, uh, did an album and all, the, all that fun stuff. It was old songs we used to sing. It's, it's amazing. It's just like God. As you walk with him, he, he puts a song in your spirit. Even if you can't sing, the Bible has a verse for you. Make a joyful noise. Sing on with your off-key self. Sing on with your no-rhythm self. Because to God, it's a sweet melody. Well, God dropped this song in my spirit. And I'm going to read these lyrics. The name of the song is called Use Me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands, Lord, and my feet. Touch my heart, Lord, and speak through me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Does anybody desire to be used of God today? I don't want to waste this moment. I don't want to waste this holy moment. There's a calling on your life. God wants to use you while he's working on you. But our posture has to be surrender. See, our problem is we don't want to surrender in our flesh. We don't want to do it. I got it, Lord. You take, you got the other issues. I, I got this. No, God's like, no, you don't got it. Surrender is a place where God wants us to be. His presence is the game changer. He wants to use us. He wants to humble us. Yes, not to beat us up, but to prepare us for usefulness. So that my life, your life, our life can be that that says, Lord, I am dependent upon you. I don't want to lean on myself. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. And lean not unto thy own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. God wants to use me. But yet he's going to force the issue. He's going to test us. You best believe that. That's just part of the Christian life. But even in our testing, he will fill in the gaps. So the question for us is, will we, will we surrender?